0: episode 53 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing Brett Jones. Brett Jones is a strength and conditioning coach, personal trainer and certified athletic trainer. Brett is most well known for his work with the Strong First Kettlebell community as well as the functional movement systems. On this episode, me and Brett discuss pretty much everything and anything to do with the functional movement screen. What I wanted to do on this episode was to get Brett on to discuss how exactly to administer all seven tests on the functional movement screen and the most common mistakes brett sees people make when they administer the functional movement screen so there's a lot of information in the show and uh, i really hope you guys enjoy it okay mr brett jones it is an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast um just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are which i would imagine won't be too many just fill us in on your background
1: well, uh, Roddy, first, it's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, have the opportunity to be on the podcast. Uh, so, what can I say about me that I haven't said already? Um, the, uh, well, I started life as an athletic trainer, so uh, sports medicine athletic training. Uh, my first job was actually in uh, Chatham, Virginia, where uh, it happens to be Gray Cook's hometown. So I met and worked directly with Gray Cook from 97 to uh, 95 to 97. And then we lost touch for a little bit, got back in touch. Uh, During that time, I'd become a kettlebell instructor with Pavel, uh, one of his master instructors, and had put out a DVD that Gray got a hold of. And so we ended up, uh, Gray and I touched base. That resulted in me starting to teach for FMS in uh, 2006. 2006. And so I've been traveling and teaching for FMS since uh, 2006. Um, Did the Secrets of video series, which resulted in the um, level two uh, FMS workshop and uh, progression of some of the materials there and um, integration of kettlebells into some of the correctives and things of that nature.
0: Awesome great stuff and we we'll you know, we're going to be talking a lot about the fms so i don't know if you've heard the, the previous interviews i had with and gambetta and then i had gray on to kind of rebuttal that but just uh, i think anyone who knows me knows the amount of times i've had to defend the fms and it's not even that it's the fms it's just what really grinds my gears is when people give an informed opinion on something so i'm always you know what really gets to me is people uh, basing their criticisms on false assumptions so you know like the usual ones with the FMS oh everyone has to be symmetric I'm like no it's just they don't want gross asymmetry we can agree on that you know all they do is co- all they do is corrective strategies like no they just want quality before quantity and it doesn't correlate to sports performance it's not meant to correlate to sports performance so just like loads of that type of stuff but uh, before we get into the FMS Brett, um just I want to ask a few more questions because I really like to get the listeners to get a feel for the guest. Who, who would you say have been your biggest influences on you one as a coach and then two as a person
1: it's uh, a great question. Um, from a professional standpoint, I've been, you know, just the opportunities that I've had to be mentored by and teach with and, and program with uh, Pavel Sasselin uh, and Greg uh, Cook have been massive uh, influences on uh, my professional career and the direction that it's taken and the opportunities that I've had. So that's a as far as my mentors and uh, people that have had huge influence um i i read and listen to what uh, mike Boyle puts out there um and it's kind of funny because Vern was a very early influence um i was at one of the first perform better learn by doing seminars in like 97 98 might have been 99 columbus ohio and uh you know his his talk there and uh, some of the things he covered were were a, a good influence at the time, along with Juan Carlos Santana. Um, so you know that's kind of a, a short list there, but certainly Gray and uh, Pablo being uh, top of
0: the list. It's uh, fun, It's sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny too because Gray actually said the same thing on the the kind of podcast, and you know as I said, it was a bit of a rebuttal to Vern. And he says, you know, it's funny my influence on my thought process was Vern back in the day too. That's what Gray said too. So.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, a lot of props to him to being such an early adopter into the um, the, the training and conditioning, um, really shaping what it's become. Um, so it's uh, you know, I, I have to give him uh, credit there um, for influencing me at that time and uh, really uh, being part of what opened my eyes to a variety of things mm. um, on a on a personal level. Um, you know, my dad, and my grandfather huge uh, huge influences uh, my wife of course uh, for uh, putting up with me and uh, calling me on my BS on a consistent <laughs> basis
0: and uh, so yeah that's uh, about it that's awesome what What would you say Brett in your opinion are the biggest problems you see within not only the strength and conditioning industry but just the sort of you know total training training field or the, the training field in general and then also you know Re- rehabilitation and I suppose just our industry in general, you know, between strength and condition and rehabilitation specialists, and I suppose you could lump in other fitness professionals into that as well.
1: Well, I think in the, within the fitness industry, what we're looking at is a, a really interesting time, but I think what what kind of has to happen uh, is standardization. Mm. You know, over there in the UK, in order to be a personal trainer, you have a, a set, number of hours of school and and curriculum that you have to go through if i'm correct um to be kind of uh, have that national certification um is that is that accurate uh
0: i'll I'll just i'll just clarify because because um i i know by uk you're obviously mean ireland and england because i i just know it's like it's like saying to canadian you're you're american so Irish Irish people hate when when people say they're from the UK because I know my listeners are going to be like why didn't you correct them and tell them we're not from the UK so just because because when Mike Boyle came over and Kevin Larby uh, earlier on this year they did a seminar here and they they all they all kept saying oh we're going to the UK and we were like you're not you're coming to Ireland stop saying that people hate that so, uh, no but but you're right though in 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 the UK the UK have what's called the uh, UK SEA the UK Strength Association and to get accredited you have to put in a certain amount of hours. It's not like the CSCS where it's just a written exam and, oh, you're a strength and conditioning coach. You actually have to show that you can demonstrate that you can coach, which is a far better certification than, obviously, just a theory test. So you are correct, yeah.
1: And, you know, on the on the Ireland clarification, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that because uh, actually my mom's maiden name is O'Brien, and... Uh Ireland is one of the only places in the world that I actually want to visit, and uh, have you
0: not have been? Have you not been here yet? I
1: haven't been there yet. Oh my it's God, so Brett!
0: Brett will 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 absolutely because I'm with the Irish Coaches Institute. Uh, like not everybody's like, oh, he's tooting his own horn, but uh, no, we we just started up an institute this year, and we actually had a big event with Mike Boyle in March, and we've got Dan Dan John and Tom Plummer putting on our next big event this November. But uh, definitely, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get you over at some stage next year. Beautiful,
1: I love it. So, um, when you look at a standardized educational experience uh, like they have in the UK, um, I think that sets a great foundation for the profession. Uh, In the United States in particular, we have well over 400 certifying bodies. Um, It can be anything from a, a six to eight hour workshop that results in quote certification uh, so we have over 400 different providers and no standardization. There's no standard educational experience. There's no standard uh, experience that leads to being in the fitness industry. I, I really uh, I believe that's our biggest hurdle
2: yeah.
1: uh, from a fitness standpoint. From a rehabilitation standpoint, I think uh, rehab is in that transition from the very traditional lay on the table, do your isolation exercises uh, sort of mentality, and progressing into, well, what happens when they get off the table, and how do we, you know, regain function. Um, And then you also have to throw in there from a pain aspect, you know, our understanding of the pain neuromatrix and uh, what pain is or is not is uh, expanding daily, and that's influencing rehab. In the things that we actually need to work on, so I I think uh, if we can get some standardization within the fitness industry, that results in a, a standard educational and and really in the states, massage therapy set the the, the a, a bit of a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have mm-hmm. a standard six hundred to twelve hundred hours uh, depending on the school. Uh, both. Experience and classroom experience that results in you being able to take the national certification or, or get approved for state licensure. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that would be a great leap forward for the uh, for the fitness industry.
0: Yeah, big time. Exactly. So let's get into to the meat and potatoes of, of why I wanted you on for this uh, this podcast. So I really actually want to get you on the last while because there is a lot of people out there you know who are certified with the FMS and um, there still seems to be a bit of Confusion of how to actually properly administer each one of the seven screens. And maybe it's more to do with maybe one or two of the actual screens than some of the rest of them. Because I'll I'll just tell you a little story. I actually, I've been using the FMS, to say probably really consistently about the last five years. And, you know, from from sort of my movement paradigm, it's definitely what drives my movement paradigm with regards to like my overall coaching philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it was only actually this year that I took level two. Now, I really did level two like I just watched the secret series over and over again and again and again and when I took my SFMA 1 and 2 I actually happened to find one of the level 2 manuals for F- FMS and I was like geez. and I just saw the and I actually didn't find it I didn't steal it uh, but I when I read through it I was like geez this is the script of secret series and it just made the secret series click in my mind and, and then from that day I was like I really get these these correct strategies they really make sense to me now and I was applying them and then I, I just went down and took level 2 this this march in, in Dublin just to say I've done it but what I, what I found and I think I don't know if I sent you I don't know if I sent you a message on this but what I found was that I was there at level 2 and you know so Jason Green great instructor and we well, were there and, and we were we were screening right and then the guys the group I was in they had done level 1 previously or that weekend and they were screening and like I was screening them and they were like they were like, I'm a tree on this. I'm like, no, you're a two. Like, you're, that's a two. And then I was bringing Jason over and Jason, and they were like, Jason, I'm a tree. And Jason's like, no, no, Robbie's right, you're a two. Like, and I was just kind of thinking, why why are the guys like, no? Like, you know, so just this is why I wanted John, because I know there's definitely still, like, people kind of think there's still things people are missing. I know, Kurt myself, I'm missing things. I'm not saying I know everything, but what, what I'm going to do here then, Brett, because I need to stop, I need to shut up and let you talk, because you're the one getting interviewed, uh, is let's go through each seven of the screens. And let's just talk about the setup and then what I'd like you to talk about is the most common errors you see people make. So like I'd say for instance, um, like trunks ability push up, you see a lot of trees given when really they're not trees. And you are definitely one person that is very strict on the trunks ability push up. Um, yes. and just certain other little things like again, remember strengthcoach.com we spoke about that back foot on inline lunge needing to be straight and that actually clarified that for me so let's probably start in the order that most people do the FMS so we'll go with the big three first and a little four so if you want to start with overhead deep squat maybe and just talk about exactly what we're looking for and the most common sort of mistakes you see made with them
1: Absolutely, but before we get into the specifics of the screen I want to take just a little bit of a, a side trip No problem, no problem yeah. the language of movement screening Um, we're going to use terms as movement screening professionals we're going to use terms like somebody fails the screen due to pain. We're going to use terms like dysfunction or injury risk. Uh, You know these are terms that we're going to throw around between each other as movement screening professionals. Mm -hmm. I am not going to be screening athlete Billy and yelling at him that he failed because he had pain on the impingement clearing test.
0: Fuck's sake, Billy.
1: Exactly, what the (laughs) hell are you doing? Um, That's, I'm just gonna note, I'm gonna make a note and I'm gonna move along. So there's the language that we use between other movement screening professionals and there's the language that we need to use when we're screening Grandma Betty, Executive Joe, Athlete Billy, Athlete Susie. Mm -hmm. These are the mythical people that live in my head and talk to me on a regular basis. The, um, when I'm screening somebody, I set the stage by saying, hey, we're going to go through this thing called the functional movement screen. We're going to look at seven different movement patterns. Uh, I'm going to give you some instructions. We're going to get you in position. You're going to do the movement. Um, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of feedback or information because I don't know anything until we're done with all seven tests. So the person I'm screening never hears, that was a 1, that was a 2, that was a 3, that's an asymmetry, this puts you at risk, this you fail because of pain. They never hear any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now at the end, I certainly review the results with them and I put that in in language um, that uh, they can understand, that they appreciate. And then I show them that that movement pattern that we've identified as a weak link can be changed or I guide them in the direction of getting a painful movement pattern evaluated because I need to know why that pain is there.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so understand that the language you're going to use in screening an individual is going to be different than the language that you used at the workshop or the language that you use with another movement screening professional.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, we're going to make it accessible, we're going to make it non-threatening, and we're going to keep it fun. Um, hopefully they laugh a certain point either because you tell a joke or because you know they had trouble with one of the movements and they're like oh my gosh that was hard yeah. laugh right along with them write down a score no no coaching no judgment no feedback just get them through the screen you don't know anything until all sub tests are done and just treat movement screening as taking blood pressure yeah
0: I love that I love that saying you know that the screen is just it's just the the, the blood pressure for movement.
1: Absolutely, sorry, sip a coffee there yeah. um, So Understanding that we're going to be During this podcast We're going to be using movement screening language uh, That's not the language that I would use With Grandma Betty, Executive Joe, etc yeah. So um, Hopefully Everybody out there Has the book Movement By Greg Cook um, And if you don't Movementlectures.com or, or Graycook.com, see if, uh, or MovementBook.com, and see if that's possible. Um, because in Chapter 6, it's page 90, and I have one of the early editions. I, I think uh, it might be page 99 uh, now that, uh, that, that it's that it's in there. So on page 90 of my book, it might be 99 or something but it's chapter 6 it gets into the movement screen and what you see immediately for the deep squat movement pattern is you have the purpose, the description the tips for testing and then it gives you some implications what does it mean when somebody doesn't do well on this now you also have to flip back to the appendix
0: page 87 in my movement book
1: Okay, 87 in your movement book Um, obviously there's some Differences in, uh, you know, uh, design and, and things like that. Yeah, I, so
0: I, I got one of the, it was, this is like one of the first ones, it was a hardback cover one that came out.
1: Got it. So then you flip to Appendix 10, which is the verbal instructions.
0: Hmm. People didn't read that far, Brett, you see what I mean? I, I
1: couldn't <laughs> read more. Um, but then we also have to go with Appendix nine, which is the scoring criteria, yeah, 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 yeah. so when we look at the description, um, you know, where client assumes a start position by placing the instep of the feet in a vertical alignment with the outside of the shoulders. Feet should be in the sagittal plane with no lateral outturn turn of the toes. If you read that to a client, they're going to look at you like sprouted three heads and stepped off a spaceship. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the heck you're talking about. Flip back to appendix ten for the verbal instructions stand tall with your feet approximately shoulder width apart and toes pointing forward. Well, that's a much easier and client friendly way of introducing them to client assumes the starting position by blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. So the description is meant for you, the movement screening professional, to have a, an understanding of what you're looking at and, and expecting from the person that you're screening. The verbal instructions make sure that you have a consistent script for getting people in position um... because one of the key aspects of reliability is repeatability mm-hmm. and if you're constantly using a different script or constantly getting people in different setup positions your reliability isn't going to be that great Yeah. so understand that i want you to spend some time looking at the description the tips for testing are excellent um, and then the verbal instructions are what you're going to use to get that person in perfect setup position for every rep and there's a key point that people miss is that for the first rep they make sure the feet are straight ahead for the deep squat for example and then the, the person performs a rep and the toes spin out and they don't reposition them for the second rep
2: yeah.
1: and all of a sudden that squat with the feet flat on the ground that kind of looked like it may turn out to be a one or two at best, all of a sudden they look like there are three. Well, that's because you allow them to squat with a foot turnout. Um, the foot turnout and the feet being straight ahead is a, a restriction that's placed on the squat so that we can make mistakes easy to see. When you allow them to go with the turnout, you don't catch the mistakes. So the movement screening professional is going to read the description and purpose and the tips for testing. Then you're going to use the verbal instructions to get the person in perfect setup position, and then, and only then, do the scoring criteria matter. So there's more to it than oh, hey, stand with your feet straight ahead, put the stick overhead, and squat. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, so just understand that we're we're gonna we're not going to be this lengthy for all seven tests because we wouldn't get through them. Um, but I wanted to run this through in detail at least once so that you understand um, when you, the movement screening professional, understand the, uh, the, understand the purpose and description, you look at the tips for testing so that you can understand some of the specifics uh, of setting somebody up. You know to use the verbal instructions um, so that you get the person in perfect set of position for every rep, not just the first rep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then the scoring criteria matter. Okay. and that's that's the way I want you to approach all seven screens now once you do this a few times your movement screen should take less than 15 minutes uh, to get somebody through all seven the clearance tests so it is efficient in the end it sounds burdensome uh, as you're beginning to into your movement screening um, and if you're screening a large group of people uh, say you're trying to get through a football squad and I actually didn't mean soccer for my uh, European uh, counterparts um, you got you know 20 30 40 50 kids that you're trying to get through print out the scoring criteria. Stick on the head, elbows at 90 degrees. Oh, pardon me for just a sec. Oh. Bless you. Thank you. Sorry about that. Couldn't, yeah, all right. couldn't fight that one off. <laughs> um it says, you know, elbows 90 degrees, grasp the dowel. And that means grasp the dowel. So when you see somebody take it overhead and their hands open up, or they don't grasp the dowel, or they lay it way back in their hands. They're no longer grasping the dowel, so make sure they maintain the grasp of the dowel. Make sure the feet are straight ahead. Squat as deeply as you can. Uh, maintain upright torso. Heels on the uh, heels and dowel in position. Descend as deep as possible. Hold the descent of the position for a count of one. Return to the start position. So if they dive bomb it and give you this really ballistic squat, you know, hey, really nice attempt. I'd like you to go a little bit slower because um, it does say uh, descend is, um, descend slowly or hold the down position for one and return to the start position. So just be be sure you give me a pause at the bottom there. You know that's not coaching. That's making sure the instructions are followed. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's definitely a difference uh, between coaching and, and just you know like for instance I often you know sometimes you see when the knee goes into bogus, you don't say as you said oh push your knees out and you get three you say can you can you keep that knee out on your next rep
1: reset the start position because probably along with that valgus the foot's gonna move. Yeah, exactly. So hey, come on back up. Let's try to get everything in position again, make sure your feet are straight ahead. Let's bring that dial back down, make sure your elbows are still tiny, grasp the dowel, press it overhead. Uh, you know, keeping the, the heels on the ground and the dowel overhead squat as deeply as you can. Um, hold the bottom position. Um, so keep it keep it pretty simple. So the deep squat I think is the one that garners the most attention or uh, argument, and it's actually, and this will sound weird to people. It's the least important mm. uh, screen.
0: Yeah, they can't get their heads wrapped around it, particularly if they've done like overhead squat assessments and other courses, and they're naming muscles, and you're just like, no, it's just zero one two three. That's all you need to worry about. And and you're and as you said, you'll probably find flags elsewhere on it, like on the screen.
1: Absolutely, I'm so glad you said that because the you know one of the key things is. All I'm looking for, three, two, one. Hmm. Or zero. Or zero. Yeah, I I don't care why. Um, why will be filtered out during the corrective strategies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the screen is simply about giving it a number and moving on. And, you know, if you bell curve this stuff, you're going to end up with a good number of twos. You're going to end up with some threes. You're going to end up with some ones. Um, the ones are the ones we're worried about somebody squat from a two to a three. Um, Two's good enough. Don't, don't obsess, you know, don't, don't make this more than it is. Three, two, one, zero. All I need No. If you want to make a note that it's a two because they couldn't break parallel, fine. You know, that, perfectly fine. If you want to make a note that I think they scored a two because the lateral two-thirds of their flabidious muscle didn't fire properly, You don't know that because of a deep squat.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, Keep it simple, give it a number, move along. And so one of the mistakes on the deep squat is when you go from testing for a three for testing between the difference of a two or a one, you got to put the kit underneath the heels. Hmm. So what I see is assumption. It looks like it's almost a three. They're obviously a two. No, no, no. They're just not a three. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you, you you, you know, when you take your sorry to cross when you take your FMS cert there's there's a few of those little trick videos in there like what you know, what's the score and it shows someone who's not a tree and then that's it and then they're just like were they a two a one or can't tell you know that kind of when you're like can't tell
1: there you go yeah, yeah and that's it is really that simple and I think that's where you know a common criticism will be something along the lines of there's um we're diagnosing or we're you know telling people you know why is happening.
2: Mm.
1: All I know is 3210. That's it. I, the corrective strategies will filter everything else out. And even then, there's only about it's like, you know, a common um, culprit of a lot of problems, people will say, oh, well that's, you know, it's uh, it's the hip flexor. Well there's about 31, 32 different muscles that assist in hip flexion. You know, certainly we can narrow it down to a few of the the main hip flexors. But there's about 31, 32 muscles that assist in that motion. Yeah, yeah. Which one of those muscles would you like to blame? Because once you start playing the blame game, watch out. Yeah. It gets really complicated.
0: So, Brett, just with the with, let's just say with the with the overhead squat, there's a few just like little like little things I want want you to, to clarify for me. So with the stick position, the stick. It says "dell aligned over the feet." Now, does does that mean right over the midfoot of the foot, or if the stick is still in line but it's more towards the toes? What 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 what's what's that? And the other thing too is, let's say someone can only get that stick perfectly aligned if they excessively put their wrist in extension. But when we bring that wrist to neutral, now the stick is actually more forward than, than it actually looks. So where where exactly is that stick line having to be? Is it, I I always was told through the through the middle of the foot that if it's, out, if it's actually out in front towards the toes, that that's not criteria for a three or a two, whatever they're doing.
1: Uh, the criteria is within the footprint. So within so the, oh yeah, from, toes, trips, from toes to heel, is it? Correct. Mm-hmm. Toes to heels. Grant. So your Olympic lifter, who has the really mobile shoulders and is used to throwing the bar behind them to lock out a snatch, Yeah. Um, they're going to put the bar behind their feet. And that gives them kind of a unique... Uh, squatting pattern, uh, I want to see that bar over the feet. So between the heel and the toes. So during the squat, if it starts over the midfoot, and it does drift forward a little bit but does not go past the toes, that can still be a three yeah. or a two, you know, depending on what you're testing for. Uh, so it's within the footprint.
0: Okay. And let's, let's say with that stick, sometimes I see this, Brett, and usually you, you catch this then on shoulder mobility, but just for scoring the squat if you see a sort of rotation in the stick where one end of the stick is more towards, I'm presuming you're going to say as long as the stick is within the footprint either way, it's still going to count as a score. But if there's a bit of rotation where, say, let's say my right hand, the stick is slightly more towards the little toe of my right foot, but then the left hand is rotated where it's more towards, say, the heel of the left foot. Does that make sense? Like there's a bit of rotation in the stick from a side view?
1: It does. It does. And uh, it needs to be, um, so the dowel remains aligned over the feet. Yeah. Um, upper torso is parallel, uh, you, know, you can look at the scoring criteria, um, dowel aligned over feet, so if there's a slight rotation, what certainly make note of it, but if it doesn't take it out of the footprint, just go right. ahead and, uh, and go with it, uh, certainly make note. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that when somebody grasps the stick and they can't get it overhead enough to where it's within the footprint, then that's a one.
2: Yeah.
1: It's inability to achieve the start-up, the set position. And the scoring criteria only matter if you can achieve the setup position.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And uh, so you have an early indicator there that you're going to find probably find a shoulder mobility Excellent. issue.
0: Because these are just like the little nuances I want the listeners to hear too on some of the screen stuff. The, the final one I'll say is that sometimes when you go to the two, breath and it still says that you want you know the torso parallel to the tibia. Sometimes I see people can st- can achieve it too no problem. But well, because of the way their heel lift is, sometimes the, the torso and tibia angle are not actually aligned. I, I find that sometimes. Do you find that?
1: <coughs> I do. And uh, it's uh, don't break out your protractors and look for perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, I'm, uh, just, I'm, just
0: I'm just clarifying this for, again, the listeners, you know. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, stickers over the feet, uh, knees and uh, toes, everything stays aligned in the sagittal plane. The only thing is, the torso is a little more upright than the tibial angle. Yeah, that's still a two. Still a two,
0: and then uh, actually, I this is the one I've always wanted to ask. But I kind of, I've, I've kind of figured out this answer in my head. You ever get those? And I suppose it's like your Olympic lifters when they do the overhead deep squat. And it's kind of like me too. And I can't get a tree, but it's kind of what I do because I have a, a, such a stiff T spine, like most people. They kind of hyper extend their shoulders back to keep that stick in line with the footprints. So, do you get what I mean? So, so like, from a side view, like, okay, the stick is in line with the foot, but really what they're doing is they're cheating by just having to hyper Their arms are way back, nearly behind their ears. But it usually, I suppose, in that situation, their torso isn't in line with their tibia, so then they're not meeting that criteria. And then also, as I think I was asking Lee Burton this for Lee's like, listen, don't worry too much about this because you're probably going to catch them on other things like shoulder mobility as well, like, so.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, there again, the only, I've only seen one person that had a torso that was more parallel to the ground yeah. than the tibia, and the stick was still over their feet.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: They had really hyper-mobile shoulders. Yeah. Um, that's a situation where you can clearly say well tibia and torso aren't lining up and you know, you're right. doing something really weird to get that stick over your feet. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give you a one yeah, yeah. or a two or you know, test you for a two or whatever it is. Um, so don't get that's going to be the very ends of the bell curve. You're only going to see that in such a few individuals. Mm. Um, don't be too worried about that one. Um, stick over the footprint uh, is basically your guideline. Tibia and torso parallel within reason. Uh, like you said, the heel lift is going to change that dynamic. Um, but don't get too uh, too over the top on that.
0: Yeah, yeah that's not at all perfect. With the hurdle step then, to be honest, the reason there, to me the hurdle step isn't is pretty cut and dry, but I still see a lot of people giving threes when they're clearly twos, because like a tree is like perfection, you know, it's like there's there's no like, you know, loss of height, stick movement, internal external rotation of the foot or the leg or whatever, but uh, the one thing I, I want to ask you, I, I was doing this last year at at least performance, and Nick Winkle came over and he says, he's like, Robbie, relax, you're like, you're like, your height, th- you're like, I was, I was like, using a high threshold strategy, to, like I was like, bracing on the bar and like, Stepping over real careful to get a tree, and then Nick was like, "Step over that." Normally, like you step over the fence. And then when I did that, he's like, "You're a two Because <laughs> I was so that, That's probably one thing I see where people are kind of like. Again, you probably mightn't see that too much with your kind of clients that don't really know what you're at, but. You know, maybe the kind of more higher attuned athlete, they might try and high threshold through the through the hurdle step. So, what in your opinion, what are the most uh, common mistakes you might see with the hurdle step? Well, uh,
1: bracing or high threshold is certainly one of. Them to see the person maintain a relaxed face maintain their breathing and not try this is just movement this isn't you know a one rm yeah you don't you don't need to brace and and get set for this you just want to easily make the movement and Mm -hmm. uh so one of the keys there i think is just disengaging from the scoring process making sure the person knows that this is no big deal um you know just keep it light and happy as i like to say Um, Common mistakes, I actually see a lot of people not measuring the tibial height precisely.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So make sure you know where the tibial tuberosity is, uh, top center, Uh, make sure you get the the, the string in the right place. Um, Stick position is base of the neck with really pretty relaxed shoulders and neck. You don't want to see them bending the bar or holding onto the stick real tight. You do want the step to be easy. You step over, touch the heel, return to the start position. Um, The, really, I prefer more watching the hurdle step from the side so that I can really see what's happening at the pelvis and low back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I can catch somebody who, as soon as they go single leg stance, they drop anterior. And then that has to reverse itself at some point so they can get over the string. And then it's going to have to reverse itself again mm. when they're trying to bring the, the foot back over. So they may keep that foot in alignment, but they're doing the hula, hula dance with their uh, hips and pelvis because they can't, they drop anterior, they can't maintain extension on the, on the stance leg. So um, be sure you catch more than one angle and be aware of uh, the, the height, the uh, horizontal reference of the dowel and watch that pelvis and the lower back.
0: I think actually one, one thing that just popped into my head while you were talking there, I actually can't believe I forgot this, because this is the one, the one major thing I see with hurdle step is, when people do step over the hurdle and they put sort of body weight into that heel touch almost to catch their balance and then go back, and people don't actually, you know, people go, oh, that, that, was, that was a two or that was a three, and you're like, no, no, they didn't actually hold back they lost balance
1: there. Yep, and so I believe in the verbal instructions, I'm going to take a quick second to, to flip back there, it says uh, touch the fore to the heel, uh, it doesn't say step over, just touch the fore to the heel, return to the start position. Yeah. So it's a light tap, not a full body shift. Yeah. Um, if they have to, I, I call that falling through, Yeah. where somebody has to fall through to the front foot because they can't hold their position on the stance leg, mm. uh, that would knock them down in the criteria.
0: Yeah, I, I always, when I'm that I say feather touch your heel on the far side or on yes. the other side yeah. so to kind of give that idea of you're just barely touching your heel down alright if we move into inline lunge and this, this was the big discussion on strength coach and it was it was funny because I was talking to Mike Boyle and Mike's kind of like Brett's kind of like that guy in, in high school he's like I got you You were wrong <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but with, with inline lunge um, I suppose the biggest mistakes well, a clear one's always the hands are on the wrong side I think that's a common, common one so we always want to be in opposition think running mechanics but the, the feet was the kind of big discussion, strength coach. And as I alluded to you, true strength coach, I was originally taught, right if feet are aligned straight and all the other criteria is met for a tree, it's a tree. But if the person lined up and the back foot could not be straight. But it was it was it was turned out or externally rotated because it was the ankle or the hip. But the back heel could remain down, and then they could execute that. That was criteria for a two. But you have you said, and again you made the, you made the great point. You were like, listen, what are the setup instructions? And the setup clearly says both feet need to be straight from the start. So you were saying that back foot cannot be straight from the get go. It's automatically a one. And then the final thing is that I see a lot of people doing her or inline lunge, and they never get the person to put that back heel back down. So, uh, if you want to clarify those points or anything else you see with it.
1: Absolutely, you know, um, real quick with Mike and everything. Uh, nobody likes being, you know, pointed out that something was incorrect. Yeah. And, uh, well, you're, yeah, only, you're I, only
0: you're you're trying to raise the standards and make sure that it's it's. That's why I have you on to because we're just trying to make sure that the FMS is done more reliably every time. Like, because it's going to stand up to the scrutiny of, of scientific literature, we need to make sure it's done right everywhere.
1: Absolutely, reliability and consistency are are key. And um, you know, they're in in movement, uh, Gray attempted to really set um, the standard should be performed, and you know we have good inner and intro greater reliability in the research, so if you follow the verbal instructions and you use the setup criteria, things will uh, go well. You'll have consistency and reliability. The foot position, um, if you can't get the setup position, then you can't complete the movement pattern as directed, yeah. because you, you couldn't get in position to do the movement. Yeah.
2: So this is where I think a lot of tight ankles get missed within the
1: screen, because they'll let the person begin the movement with that back heel um, uh, turned out. Um, this is where, so from a testing standpoint, you'll want to, you want to encourage somebody to get their heel straight. And what this turns into at times is manual adjustment, mm. where somebody grabs the foot and tries to twist them into position. Uh, mm. Please avoid that, because uh, Grandma Betty will probably land on you or on the floor when you grab her foot and try to twist it into position. Um, you know, the. you give them the instructions. Let them use the dowel for balance. Let them get those feet perfectly straight. Then put the dowel in position using the opposite uh, if the right foot is forward, left hand's behind the neck um, positioning. Get the dowel vertical. I, I, that's a big one I see is that people never get the dowel vertical.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, a 10 degree forward lean at the beginning of the inline lunge is 15 to 20 degrees of hip compensation at the bottom mm. so we got to get that stick vertical uh, in order to catch those positions uh, make sure that the back knee touches in line with directly in line with the front heel yeah, that, that's a Doesn't big that's
0: a big one there that one
1: it is and it, it doesn't have to touch the front heel because that, that's a misinterpretation that people make. Yeah. Um, it just needs to be directly in line with. So if you drew a, a laser pointer off the middle of the front heel, that's the line that that back knee should hit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then inability to, you know, one is you couldn't get the setup position or you lose balance having to step off the board or you simply can't get the knee to the kit. Yeah. You know, if, if it's perfect, six inches from touching
0: their knee to the kid that's a one yeah not a three uh, the, the other one i see there and you you're probably going to say yes to this as well as that and it was one that i because i was making i've made all these mistakes through screen was that i see a lot of people there and it, 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 this is kind of one where like all the criteria is being met it's like oh that's a tree but then if you actually looked at it from let's say the side I usually, if I'm looking from the side, I usually like to look from the side where I can see if that back hip is an extension, and that, that's where I think most people miss that they miss that back hip and extension, you'll actually see that sometimes people are slightly in flexion there, and you're like, that's not full extension of the back hip, so therefore it doesn't meet criteria.
1: Well, I, I think that side position is the best place to evaluate the inline lunge from. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, You know, get yourself to the side, the, the front actually gives you the least amount of information. Yeah. Um, I like for the side position so that that, all that stuff will become clear and artists use something called negative space they look for what's not there and if you'll treat movement screening like that if you'll just step back and watch the movement the mistakes become obvious Mm. if you're trying to run the checklist and go joint by joint or position by position um, you're so obsessed with running the checklist that you miss the mistake Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, step back watch them move don't worry about it
0: Another another big setup. I don't you. I don't know if you see this all the time. It's just like a natural instinct for people, but they always seem to grab the bottom part with the hand rotated the opposite way. Yes. So yeah, yep. always make sure that that you know the hands, so that bottom hand is in the lumbar curve and the top hand's in the cervical curve. And Absolutely. The yeah, so they're all the ones too. If we push, could the, the make sure now before you go? So if we're running on time, I wanna ask about rowdy stability, and trunk stability, push up. They're the big ones. I want. I really wanted to get with you like so shoulder mobility pretty much cut and dry Uh, uh, like what i'll what i'll do is say the biggest mistakes i see and you can just clarify and then you can say what, what you might see as well Um, i often see people doing it in a one two motion so like you know they'll go one hand over then the then the other hand follows where you want to do it obviously in one in one motion and then the other thing is obviously the hand wiggle and then the other thing i see is like people kind of flex their thoracic spine put the hands together and then stand up tall so that's kind of the biggest conversations i i see people kind of uh doing with it, so you obviously don't want to do that with the shoulder mobility. Absolutely, the instructions are to stand tall and in one motion
1: move the hands, uh, one over and down and behind, one the other under and up the back in one placement, not one violent thrust, um, but one hand placement, so quit trying to score a three.
0: Yeah, yeah, you see um, that all the time, don't you? You're just like I, to be honest, yeah. it's the same with me too. Because th- the shoulder mobility test is my, because my thoracic spine is just a, you know like most people's a bit stiff, and then guys always flunk that badly because they're stiff, and the you know the pecs and whatnot are just generally stiff, and they're always just trying to wiggle that bottom hand up and up and you know to get that get inside that that you know that two area which is usually twelve inches from most fellas.
1: Absolutely. So feet together, stand tall. One motion. Uh, not a violent thrust, just a reach, and wherever you reach is wherever you stop. There's no further movement from there. And um, so definitely just make sure that the person doesn't try, so to speak, quotation marks, um, stays tall, perform one reach, measure the distance in between.
0: And uh, I was going to say one more thing. Just for the listeners, why do the feet need to be together?
1: Really, it's it's, uh, consistency. Yeah. It's the position actually where it's hardest to level your pelvis and whether your pelvis is level or not can impact what your T-spine and shoulders are doing. Exactly. Um, so it's going to it's going to create a consistently repeatable position that allows you to know the measurement you're getting now is the, the same position set up and movement that you were trying to measure eight weeks ago. Okay. So consistency, reliability and measurement. Uh, Position to stay tall from.
0: With the clearance test, which all mobility, what when I originally learned that there was two of them, have they gotten rid of the AC one, Brett? Uh,
1: the AC one was a, is an additional breakout that we use in the level two um, just to filter things out just a little bit okay. more. Yeah, no, just um, and it, here's a so it it was that was never part of the original seven tests. Yeah. The original seven tests have always just been the the shoulder mobility and then the clearance exam. So a common question will be, why do we do the clearance exam after the shoulder mobility movement? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't I want to know if they had pain before I had them do the shoulder mobility test? So, if you poke the angry animal in the cage with a stick, was it an angry animal before you poked it with a stick? So doing the clearance exam after the movement Allows you to know that hey, I had pain free movement, positive impingement. If I have positive impingement and I irritate that shoulder and then I find pain during the shoulder mobility movement, would that have been there had I not provoked the pain first?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And what'll bake your noodle is somebody that has pain during the shoulder mobility movement, but no pain during the impingement clearing test. Yeah. They still get a zero, but now I'm able to give more information to the clinician, doctor, or whoever I'm going to refer that person to. Hey, no subacromial impingement, but boy, they had pain when they went into this. Uh, you know, whichever arm was doing whichever movement, but they had pain going into the shoulder mobility test. So, movement screen, then your clearance test.
2: Right,
0: active straight leg raise. Then I mean, this one is uh, there's obviously mistakes made it, but it's pretty cut and dry. I mean obviously what we want to see is that that bottom leg you know as as you like I mean I, I'm speaking to the expert here like you know this but again it's more so just for the listeners we want that bottom leg to be straight in contact not going to external rotation this test is m- as much about the bottom leg as it is about the up leg because you know it's looking at that hip separation I always love uh, our grays sort of thing when it comes to things like you know the hurdle step or actually leg raise or all the screens where he goes and we're looking at stability and mobility and everyone's like uh, mobility, stability, and then someone's just like, are we looking at both? He's like, exactly, both. Yes. Um, yes, we really. But just with, with actually leg raise, uh, what, what would you say are the biggest mistakes you see uh, um, commonly with the screen?
1: So, be sure that the back, middle of knee, middle of kit, make sure that the, the leg maintains contact and that it doesn't go into external rotation um, so the down leg maintains its position. Make sure they don't kick the up leg form a ballistic leg raise, yeah. or allow that knee to bend, and have them go slow enough so you can stop them as soon as the compensation becomes apparent. Um, palms up; they should maintain their breathing. They shouldn't be trying so hard to lift their leg. Yeah. Um, I just, I just
0: I think sorry to across I think that's a huge point. I I just meant to say that too when we talk about high threshold hurdle step, is that. Uh, charlie wine charlie winegoff in his latest dvd he was like he was saying this is where biomechanics falls short because kind of and he used the example of two squats that look exactly the same but one squat the person was nice and relaxed and the other squat the person was like and he's like he's like the biomechanics are the same but he's like they're clearly different squats so and charlie would say that too with scream. he was like if if someone has to like you know push he's like that's dysfunctional in his books like he's like so if, it's just what actually leg raise, if they were at a two, like barely at a two, but they're like really struggling and shaking, he'd be like, that's not a two, like they're having to force that.
1: Absolutely. You know, if, if somebody has to put on their knee wraps and a <laughs> weightlifting belt in order to uh, tie their shoes, there's something going on.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, nobody would question that. Everybody would be like, why do you have to try so hard to tie your shoes? Yeah. But yeah. nobody says, why do you have to try so hard to perform a body weight single leg stance? Exactly. So it should be easy. This is just simple body weight competency, not can you bring all of your high threshold with you. Yeah. Um, so I think the big things with the leg raise are make sure the person goes slow enough, uh, make sure you stop them at the first sign of compensation, and drop that dial right from that lateral malleolus so that you know exactly where that compensation occurred. Yeah. Um, and. While we're on, just uh, quickly, when you're scoring these things right to left, um, the side, let's say you get a 3-1 active straight leg race, and that's a 3 on the right, 1 on the left. Yeah. We are not going to blame the left leg.
2: No.
1: We do not perform one-sided corrections. We do not assign blame according to the score. The score simply tells me, hey, I need to go look at this pattern, yeah. and both legs are involved in that pattern. Never. Both shoulders are involved in the shoulder mobility screen. Yeah. Both legs are involved in the hurdle step, in the inline lunge, and in the rotary. You know, run it all the way down the line. Yeah. Do not assign blame. Simply know which movement pattern you're going to look at.
0: Exactly. Never make assumptions.
1: Exactly. Well, we all know what that does.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> the, the, the the last two trunks we push push-up, with. These are the ones that I've, I've. These are like the main ones where I really wanted to get you on because, okay, so you uh, FMS DVD 2009 right I know I'm a geek I know all this fucking you're like this guy's a weirdo but anyway <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching this right and I watched Lee Burton perform the screen on, and this is nothing to Lee Burton It's five years ago and Lee might be like god what? Like it was five years ago but Lee gives a tree to a trunks ability push up that I know for a fact you would not have given a tree to because when I saw you in the applying model DVD there was a guy in the background he does a trunks ability push up and I'm there watching on yeah, I think he's a tree and then you're just like no and you're like <laughs> He went, then he goes then he goes for a two and I was like no he's definitely a two and they were like nope he's a one and I was like what and like in fairness now you know there was that little sort of a, a little bit of a hike so with truncability push up you know clearly we don't want this one motion of upper body and then follow on by the hips but oh. it's kind of like exactly what are we? no so we, it's just that you know, and I. Whenever I'm confused, I'm always like go back to the scoring criteria, scoring criteria, and then you know that kind of becomes your reference point. But we just want that one fluid motion up, the kind of one question I would have then, Brett, is somebody with just a little more pronounced spinal curvature, and they come up in one piece, but it still looks like they may be lagging behind in the spine. Is is there like is there a sort of middle ground there, or does that make sense? That question. Uh
1: mm-hmm. So. There's three big things you're going to see. You're going to see the hips go first, the shoulders go first, slash upper body go first, or you're going to see some sort of dip or twist in the middle. It yeah. may just be that the right hip drops a little. Yeah. It may be that they you know, have a symmetrical sag in the lumbar spine. You know, Those are going to be your three main things that you're going to see during the trunk stability push-up. Um, whatever position they set at the bottom, if they maintain that position to the top, you're good
0: okay that's that's a, that's a good way of saying it yeah
1: yeah and if if you if you filmed the person so that you couldn't see their yeah. arms you, you kind of didn't know they were doing a push-up yeah. you made it look like one of those david blaine videos or whatever <laughs> um it should look like they levitated to the top position okay um it should literally look like they just went
0: yeah.
1: and boom they're at the top and nothing changed
0: And just for the listeners brett actually made that sound that's that's not effects
1: Exactly. Well, I, everything in my world has a sound effect, and <laughs> sometimes they come out.
0: Just with the setup for Shrunk smelly pusher 2, because I've seen just one or two slightly different ways. So the way I would always get the person. So first of all, that's just for for that three position, I was always eyebrows, thumbs to the eyebrows, and then slide it out. But I've heard some people say now it's not a huge difference. But I've heard some people say thumbs to the hairline.
1: It is uh, top of forehead. Top of forehead. Top <laughs> of forehead. So if you yeah. go to the verbal instructions. For uh, and I hope I'm not going to embarrass myself here in a minute. Um, no, I don't think so. It says pull thumbs down in line with the blank forehead for men, chin for women. Okay, yeah, and by forehead, so. it's the beginning of the forehead. You yeah. know, you're, so for hair, some yeah, of so us hair that's hair. further back than others. Uh, but uh, you know, the the type of forehead, and uh, instead yeah. of eyebrows.
0: Then from from there, I, I would say your feet together. Obviously, you know the toes tucked under, and then again to lift lift knees. So, like, not lift their hips down, just their knees come off the ground. And then with the arms, I've seen people do where they, 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 they cue elbows up and then when you are ready, go. And, but I've seen some other people leave the forearms down flat and, and coach it up. So, what is the actual correct way there?
1: It is elbows off the ground. Yeah. Um, sure. So, again, in the verbal instructions, uh, with your legs together, pull your toes towards the shins, lift your knees and elbows off the ground. While maintaining a rigid torso, push your body as one unit into the push-up position. Yeah. Um, so that's that kind of eliminates the uh, the guesswork there. Yeah,
0: and that's on page three eighty four in my movement book anyway. Um, it is in mine as well. Uh, and then and the clearance test, obviously, you know, I mean that's pretty self-explanatory. And again, done after the the test. Again, it's it's actually so, it's so well, so not surprising to me, but. The amount of times you get someone to do that extension test and they have pain in it, they're like, oh, how does that feel? Oh, it's a little, you know, it's a bit tight, feels a bit, oh, but it's nothing. I always have it there. It's like, okay, it's pain. <laughs> cool.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I always have that knife in my lower back.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and mean, the funny thing is they always do that as a quote-unquote stretch. You're like, eh, it's actually impingement, but anyway. Exactly. I'm
1: uh, stretching my back. No, no, you're
0: not. No, no, you're not, no. You're not, no.
1: Uh, um, so rotary. I, I think oh, again, this is another one where assumptions get us yeah. where somebody will be oh man that was almost a 3 they're obviously a 2 yeah nope. yeah, yeah. not a 2 until you test for it and prove to me you're a 2
0: yeah big time so the last one then Rotary stability. This, this is the one I, I wanted to, to really you know you to clarify on because I think this is the one I don't know for other mo- people but for me this is definitely one like I was like oh I'm scoring it wrong and then I was like oh, I'm doing it right and I was like oh, I think I'm scoring, still scoring it wrong so, cause the first thing I wasn't doing when I originally learned the screen is, and this is the thing, you can't, like, people do the FMS workshop one weekend, they think they, they you know, it's the screen, but it takes so much practice, and it takes probably times doing it a little bit wrong, and then going, oh, I was actually scoring that wrong. Um, so with rotary stability, the contact point of that elbow knee, now more so for the two, I'm talking about more so for the two here, but we can talk about the three, but the elbow to contact the actual the knee, you see a lot of elbow to mid-tie, and then the other thing was that I got this from Barry Solomon from Atlas Performance he was saying that so obviously the setup position is to have the hands knees and feet against the board and feet should be dorsiflexia obviously plantar flexion and, but if you are let's say going through your rotary stability particularly for that two pattern because so many people can't get a three he was saying that he heard from you if there's any daylight of those contact points then that's that's criteria that's not a two then let's just say if they're going for two so is that can you just clarify on that because if that's the case then I rarely see twos on rotary stability
1: it, there should be contact maintained testing for a two. Okay. Um, there can be daylight when testing for a three. Okay. Because when you shift to the one side and you have to shift, yeah. you will usually shift just enough to where you lose contact at the knee.
2: Right.
1: It doesn't, that's, that's just the weight shift and yeah. the weight shift is allowed and it has to happen. That's the perturbation that we're trying to give that, that subtle reflexive stabilizing function is that shift and lift and that arm and hand leaving the ground at the same time. That's one of the big ones I see is that somebody will move their leg and then bring their hand off the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, you were saying that to me before as well.
1: Yeah, symmetrical. It's got to be hand and knee leave the ground at the same and do time. You, do
0: you, I, I've seen people do both ways, and that they bring them out first and then in and in and then out. What, what is the actual proper way or is there a preference?
1: The instructions are reach out into extension, and then bring, bring it the elbow and knee together over the test kit, go back into extension, return to the start position.
0: Yeah, so yeah reach into extended position, return to the start position. Um, yep. And then just with the two then, so there should be no daylight between the thumb, the opposite knee, and then the opposite foot, obviously.
1: Correct, and that's um, make sure that the hand placement is natural, um, not weird, you know, Twisted to the outside, cuppy hand, yeah. um, but not jazz hands either. Um, just a nice natural hand placement. So if you see and any,
0: if you see sorry to cut across, if you see any yep. daylight. So if you're looking, let's say straight on down the middle to see that, to see that center meeting point of opposite knee to opposite elbow, and you see daylight. Let's say it's somebody who's the right knee down, left hand down, and it's the right hand and left leg lifting up, and you see that the right knee comes off the board even a smidgen. Is that criteria for one?
1: Be that picky yeah i'm um, no
0: i'm just and again i'm just clarifying for myself and the listeners yep. and i just want to know
1: in in general you should maintain contact now if it's this you know you see this bright brief little shadow of light that <laughs> yeah, yeah. peeks through there i'm not going to score that down but if they obviously are twisting and coming out of position yeah then, then I, i'll knock that down the main thing you're going to see with the difference between a two and a one is that either inability to get the elbow to the knee, yeah, or they can't touch over the test kit, yeah. yeah. And we're we're giving them a six six inch wide thing to do that through,
0: yeah. You um, you, you would have caught that person generally out on extra leg guys and shoulder mobility too, like. So that, that's generally why. Well, well, if it's a, if it's a girl, then it could be motor control. But with the guys, they're so stiff that they usually. That's why in my in anyway where I with the athletes I work with. The guys usually fail really roll because they're so stiff they can't get into that position.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, funny thing is, if you uh, if if you roll somebody over and um, pull their elbow to their knee, they'll be able to make it, and yeah. uh, they uh, they will struggle and uh, win the quadruped. So uh, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. So and that's just that's that thing and and. So, this is one of those things where, well, it's not fair, you know, I, I, I work with obese people and they, they're not going to get their elbow to their knee. Yeah,
2: yeah, Okay.
1: They still get a one. You know, because yeah. we get that all the time. Well, I work with seniors and they can't do a push-up, so how do I test their core stability?
2: You've live. already got
1: your answer. Yeah. Um, and worst case scenario, let's say you're horrible at the movement screen, <laughs> okay? Let's just say you're given all kinds of weird scores. The worst thing that's going to happen, like if you give somebody a 1 when it should have been a 3, let's say, and you dive into that corrective strategy, that person should fly through that corrective strategy. Yeah. You should end up at the end of that corrective strategy going, hmm, really didn't find anything that magnified the problem, and they look pretty good, must have been the wrong score.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: And just go back. It's it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, not brain surgery or heart surgery or you know where one mistake can cause big problems where's movement screening
2: yeah, yeah
1: and if you end up diving down the wrong corrective path you'll know because the person will fly through it
0: yeah, yeah. and i just want for people to li- you know who are listening to this who might be there might be people who kind of I can't think of a, I can't think of a word but you can swear on this podcast because it's my podcast but people kind sh- of shit people kind of on the FMS you know they like listen like I, I'm this was a very in-depth conversation on the FMS but this is literally like a very small piece of my overall coaching uh, philosophy and my whole my my ho- overall system you know it's not like people I think people get this assumption that people who use the FMS all they do is like an hour of correctives if I saw anyone do that I'd slap them silly myself like it's just it's just getting the most glaring issue picking one or two biggest bang for your buck scratch strategies that take like five minutes to apply and then get into your train. and then of course the fms will also tell you what shouldn't be in someone's initial i always use that word initial program so if their yes. toes if their toe touch your leg raises out just don't deadlift from the floor initially that's all it's not saying you'll never get there you know so it's just like uh you know so i just think again it's just uh, i've been through this a million times with our podcast and all that you know people just again have those criticisms based off false assumptions but brett i know that you you were saying you only have an hour so i wh- what i would love to do is maybe if we get you back on i don't know next week next month um and we could talk about uh what, what i really love talking about is what actually each movement pattern can tell us because i think that's learning like you know people go why these seven movements like you know like and then as charlie or, or gray would say well charlie more so than gray because he's a bit more sort of you know uh opinionated he'd be like well then pick your own of movements i don't care you know just as long yeah. as it's you know as long as it's body weight modifiable minimally cued and it respects high threshold strategy neurodevelopmental kinesiology pain and motor control regional independence then uh, we're, you know we're friends we're fine um but exactly what what, what i what i would like what i maybe get you back on and say what each screen tells us you know like so trunks ability or um, not trunk ability push up actually leg range shoulder mobility are our fundamental mobility and then you know then we have rotary stability is our kind of uh, low threshold core stabilization we want that in place before we go to high threshold with the push-up and stuff like that um, and then may- maybe we could speak about some corrective strategies if again this is if you'd like to do that if you enjoy today
1: sure I'd, I'd love to do that and I, I think I'd like to close uh, this you know talk on the screening itself yeah definitely. with the beauty of a two uh, people <laughs> yes get, people get so obsessed about a three and it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. You know, we had to give, three options allows us to catch more asymmetries, it, it allows us to um, rate, rank, and measure movement in a, in a very neat um, format, but it doesn't mean you have to be a three.
2: Yeah.
1: Because um, one of those common criticisms is, well, nobody's symmetrical and FMS looks for symmetry. No, we look for symmetry of score. Yeah and you can have vastly different twos that are still
0: twos. Yeah, me, me I, I interviewed Charlie last year and this was a great discussion we had too, it was like, you can have such a big grey area between twos, like we're using hurdle step, one side you're almost a tree but you're a two and the other side you're just about a two, you're like, you're, like you're just about to. two, that's, there's asymmetry there but it's acceptable asymmetry, you know, it's proportional symmetry like. Absolutely.
1: That's the And that's the beauty of a two. I think if everybody would embrace the beauty of a two, threes are going to happen and they're awesome. Yeah. The ones and the pain are really what we're trying to catch. And like you said, this is the baseline. Yeah. This is how I make initial judgments in programming. And it's how I make judgments in what corrective strategy I'm going to go down, if any. Um, it's not... It's It's... It's uh, Rob Butler, who's uh, one of our main researchers and and, uh, uh, one of our very large cranium uh, research guys. Um, (laughs) He'll he'll always say, it's not everything, it's not nothing. It's it's in the middle. Uh, It's a great baseline, it's consistent, it's repeatable, it's reliable. It's going to give you um, fantastic information to get started with somebody. It's going to direct you in that corrective strategy and initial programming, and you can always go back and recheck it. Mm. You know, hey, I created the world's most perfect program. I wonder what it did to the people I put it on.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. We can go back and check your movement and find out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I look forward to continuing the conversation about uh, some correctives and uh, what the screen tells us and things like that.
0: Brilliant, brilliant, Brett. Where can more people find out about you?
1: Oh. Um, Let's just appliedstrength.com, uh, A-P-P-L-I-E-D, com. A-P-P-L-I-E-D
0: yeah, I'll link them in the show notes so people people can just click on that and find out more about Brett. Brett, you, an hour and seven minutes, you didn't mention kettlebell once.
1: Uh, shocking, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, actually I think I do because
0: you're only that. a kettlebell guy Brett
1: you know you, everyone, well, everyone
0: has to be yeah. painted with a brush <laughs> I, I love doing <laughs> that to people I said that to Stuart McGill one day I was like Stuart you know everyone thinks you just brace people that's all you do all day long just brace and he, he got real mad he was like it's ridiculous
1: <laughs> Stu's a beauty oh I, he's, I he's, I he's, a he's a
0: legend he's a legend he's such a gentleman
1: yeah um I think people would be shocked by the idea that there's a good number of my clients that never pick up a kettlebell um for my own training i I squat, I bend nails, I do you know weird stuff that I would really almost never have some of my clients do
0: yeah. same, um, at, same with me
1: yeah it's it's always different once you uh, once you get in the trenches with somebody so to speak and uh, but we as a human species uh, thrive on having a single answer uh, we hate it depends yeah is I love stews. Show me the client. Yeah. Then I'll tell you what I'm going to do with them.
0: Yeah, that was his, that was his answer for everything at Stanford. You know, it was like, okay. well, it depends. It depends. It, it was so funny. It was okay, Brett. I'm gonna and, I, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: But I I develop up my it depends off of my screen.
0: Yeah.
1: I part. I kind of have an idea of where I'm going to go. So uh, it's if Alan Cosgrove correctly observed some time ago professionals tend to agree on 90 95 percent of what they do yeah but we will go to war over that five to ten percent that we don't agree on oh it's just yeah. and it's it's usually the stuff that doesn't matter
0: yeah exactly <laughs> it is the stuff that doesn't matter yet.
1: so beautiful uh thank you robbie i had great questions and um look forward to, like I said,
0: continuing the conversation. Yeah, well, I, well, yeah, the questions were okay. So I, I think though, correct the strategies now, because whenever I teach mess, I'm like okay, it's one thing to know the screen, but the correct strategies I think is where the money's at, because that's when people look you and think you're a genius. Like, so that's that. I'll be very interested in, in getting you on again and speaking about that, because I remember Gray said he'd like to come back on to talk maybe more about the actual screen itself, but We'll definitely get you back on anyway. So just hang hang on hang online for 30 seconds and I'll just wrap up the podcast. So, guys, great podcast today with Brett Jones. Definitely going to have him back on. So this may be just a part one. Um, if we don't have him on in the near future, we'll definitely have him on again sometime in the later future. So thanks for supporting the podcast. Keep downloading iTunes and leave reviews. Talk to you soon, guys. Take care and stay strong. <laughs>